dark secret place. This radioactivity is coming from Brian Suits on KFI. I would bomb the shit out of him. Dark Secret Place with Brian Suits on KFI. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until midnight. And I, I'll be honest with you, I am playing with the pain. I'm sick. I, I had to cancel the, the live show in Arcadia is scheduled for next Thursday. The, uh, the Thursday show. Uh, I had to cancel because I just frankly didn't have a voice. So the Thursday show, How to Win a Gun, a gun Debate Against an Idiot or an Astronaut, has been rescheduled for uh, for this upcoming Thursday, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. You can go to Twitter for uh, for, for tickets uh, on that. So it's the, uh, the pinned tweet. And so we'll talk about, uh, and, and here's the deal. Uh, I, I really don't have a reaction to what the kids said today in March for Our Lives. It's what the adults said that annoyed me. The the people who should know better, and and I don't mean just random adults. I mean elected officials, like a certain senator who used to be an attorney general in a certain state where most of us are sitting. Um, she should know better. Uh, a certain lieutenant governor who used to be her boss when he was mayor of San Francisco, who should knew be- should know better and didn't didn't know better. So we'll we'll get into that. Because in, uh, you know, in my experience, if you're openly debating a fundamental change to the the foundational document of your country, you should, I don't know, maybe you know something about the issue. That's just me. I'm not a real big fan of decisions based on emotion. But uh, that's, again, that's one of my weird quirks. So we'll get into that uh, next hour. Uh, well, let's let's start with terrorism. A I, uh, this is like joining the uh, boy. What was the last blowout in the Super Bowl? Uh, was it the Seahawks and the Broncos about four years ago? Uh, doesn't count. The, the The comeback for the Patriots last year doesn't count. But uh, a guy on the radar of the French national law enforcement system and, and uh, uh, judicial system finally erupted, uh, taking a gun in a uh, uh, suburb south of France, uh, taking a grocery store hostage, uh, killing several people in, in the in- initial, then, then later uh, incident. The, and, but this is like rowing up to the Titanic. And the guy announced that he was, in fact, a, symp- uh, a sympathizer of ISIS. And ISIS, because they don't have a lot of good news these days, of course, they claim credit in record time. I mean, before the end of the day, ISIS claimed credit for this guy because the guy said, I'm doing this in the name of ISIS. And it's like rowing up to the Titanic and saying, uh, where do I fill out an application? Because, uh, and by the way, quick, uh, quick note, you're going to hear me turn the mic off a couple times uh, tonight because that's me coughing. So, this required to intervene with this guy. The French now have a pretty phenomenal response and reaction standard operational procedure. And this has come at a lot of lost lives, starting with Charlie Hebdo uh, going, you know, more than uh, almost three years ago. And then the Bataclan theater in uh, November of uh, 2015 I'm sorry, three and a half years ago, France has been, uh, at that time it was uh, President Nicolas Sarkozy. I'm I'm sorry, it was, uh, oh, the middle guy between Sarkozy and Macron. And he had to bring France into effectively a state of martial law. After Charlie Hebdo, after two guys, two brothers, one of whom had left France and come back with training, and they decided that their worst enemy was a satirical magazine, and so they slaughter a bunch of cartoonists and administrative workers, and it required a major muscle movement for the nation of France. Uh, the mo- mobilization of several different national law enforcement and military branches to bring these two guys to bear. They wind up both dying. And then the French wisely left the state of martial law up. They were about to lift it 
in November of 2015 when the Bataclan Theater and National Soccer Stadium, the complex attack occurred. Uh, an attack that was supposed to uh, hit at different times at multiple places across Paris. It was frighteningly sophisticated. This was never really, I think, clearly expressed to people that what ISIS did or what these guys did, they planned outside of France. And then they moved north into Belgium where they armed up. They drove into France using EU passports and they executed what was frankly a very complex attack. It was supposed to be because uh, Angela Merkel and uh, what's his name, the old president of France, were in the national stadium watching a friendly France versus Germany soccer match, what they call football, but far less manly. And what was supposed to happen was three guys with suicide vests were supposed to initiate a multi-level attack. One guy was supposed to initiate his suicide vest as people uh, were going in or either at halftime or going into the soccer game. And he was supposed to cause 10 or 20 casualties. That was going to do two things. It was going to bring a first responder response. Hundreds of cops, firemen, and medics would show up. And that is when uh, the second suicide bomb or possibly the second and third suicide bombs were going to detonate and kill a bunch of doctors and police. Uh, instead, what happened was a sharp cop saw these three guys making furtive movements, looking suspicious. The second he intervened and said, can I help you? What are you guys doing? And he alerted other cops and they saw cops moving in. The three of them lit off their bombs and killed no one but themselves. But the French police immediately knew something's up. And so they mobilized the army who had been on the ground, the national police and some other forces. And then they got the reports about the Bataclan Theater which is where the majority of those casualties were. So the, the, the French have developed a national strategy, which is intervene quickly, get on this, contact these people, start sending rounds downrange, don't negotiate with them. It's all a maneuver to get start sending lead back down towards them. So that's what they did. And it cost a policeman, an astoundingly brave uh, gendarmerie nationale, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, his life, because he traded his place, uh, he traded places with a hostage. I'll tell you about it here when we come back. And also, uh, uh, and I'll, I'll go through this again, because what the French do by presidential decree during emergencies, they have to do. Because France doesn't have cities and counties like the United States does. But there, there's a pretty vast difference. And it used to mean hours and hours and hours of inaction. But the French have learned the hard way that they basically have to be like the Americans, be like San Bernardino and Rialto PD. Go to the sound of the guns. Rialto is next door. They hear uh, they hear mass shooter and they cross jurisdictions. They come to mutual aid of San Bernardino. They, have, they don't have to call the governor. Don't have to call the attorney general. Don't have to call the county commissioner or the mayor of Rialto. They, that's all pre set up. So we'll, we'll talk about that when we come back. It is an interesting uh, distinction between how uh, the United States locally can deal with this versus uh, a national system like the French have. Uh, right after this, it is a dark secret place. Brian sits in here until midnight. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. If I am 640, more stimulating talk. It is a dark secret place. Brian sits in here until midnight. We'll talk uh, guns in America next hour. But uh, just wrapping up something that happened uh, yesterday. A uh, And let me get his name, not that it matters uh, much. But the uh, gunman in France, 26-year-old Redouane Lacadim, Hold up at the Super U in Trebe, a small city uh, near the Pyrenees in the southern part of France, around 11 a.m. Uh, he was screaming, Allahu Akbar, uh, God is great, proclaiming himself a soldier of the Islamic State. Of course, you don't debate that. You know my ground rule. If you say you're that, I believe you. And he, uh, he yelled to people fleeing the store, quote, you are bombing Syria and you are going to die, close quote. Um, of course... Never mind that Bashar Assad is killing more Sunni Muslims any weekend 
than uh, the the NATO anti ISIS effort has in in three years. But but no, go on, uh, attack French people. Uh, Twenty shoppers and staff reportedly escaped from the grocery store after running for their lives. Uh, it was uncertain how many hostages were taken during the standoff. It was at this point that around 2.30 p.m. Uh, when a uh, uh, gendarmerie nationale officer, Lieutenant Colonel, let me get this straight because uh, I respect the hell out of this guy, Lieutenant Colonel Arnaud Beltram. Uh, he actually served in the French sector in Iraq uh, in 2004 and five. The French uh, had had their own multinational division. They had army and, uh, and, and gendarmerie. So here's what I'm talking about, about uh, how the French respond to this kind of thing versus how we do. And, and keep in mind that France, geographically, uh, is a, a approximately the size of Southern California. So let's assume that, let, let's say that, uh, that, uh, that Oakland takes the place of Paris, or, or more accurately, maybe Fresno. Fresno's the state capital now in this little world, right? Um, and Modesto is the northern reach of uh, of california so if something happened in san diego fresno would have to issue the orders that's that's how france works it, it is uh the one of the most centralized republics since the soviet union so france the, the united states does not have a national police force i remind you all of that canada does canada has the rcmp the mounties royal canadian mounted police they have a national police force their primary mission is serious crime, but also they police small communities that don't have the money for a local police force. We don't have such a force. Mexico does. Every South American, Central American country does. In fact, most of Europe have a national police force. We do not. The FBI is not a national police force. Okay, The FBI are not driving around pulling you over for an illegal lane change. France has a national police force, the, the national police. But they also have another national police force called the Gendarmerie, Nacional. That is a branch of the military. They are actually part of the Ministry of Defense. This is why this guy's a lieutenant colonel. In American police, you have sergeants, lieutenants, and captains, and then sheriffs who wear four stars for some reason. I don't ask me. In France, the Gendarmerie Nationale is a uniform police force, but they are part of the Ministry of Defense. And they take the lead in these spectacular terrorism attacks that we've seen over the past four years in France. Local police show up, and if they know that they can't handle something, their their orders, unless it's in a major area like Paris where they do have a, a city anti-terrorism force, but if they can't affect something quickly, then they basically pull back and they wait for the gendarmerie. And that's who these guys are. So there was a time, five, ten years ago, when if something like this happened, it took them eight hours to get there. It took them eight hours to get from Fresno to San Diego. They had to wait for the various forms to be signed, the whole thing. Not anymore. Now they've decentralized where these guys are located. They've also decentralized the counterterrorism teams. And let me just say this, by the way. You know, we joke about France's performance in past wars. You know, it's an ongoing joke. Even the French joke about it. But, but I will tell you this. Having worked with them in close cooperation in Bosnia... Uh, and in Iraq, I, I'm here to tell you that the French really actually are pretty badass. The French special operations guys are extremely badass. The French counterterrorism and SWAT equivalent guys are extremely badass. They're they're way better ass than any Germans, and believe it or not, the Brits. Until the Brits call in the army, the SAS, British police have nothing on the French. Uh, the the French carry almost exclusively U.S. kit. They carry American M4s. They train with Delta Force. They train with special, special Forces. And they train with the French Army Special Forces because the French have understood that France is a lovely, peaceful place until a terrorist makes it a war zone. And then you got to show up ready to go to war. And they do. So they, they have an authority, you understand, that we don't have here in the U.S. If, there was a, if San Bernardino was a hostage situation, the chief of police of San Bernardino could not call the president and ask for Delta Force. Doesn't work like that. He can request maybe the FBI hostage rescue team, West Coast version, maybe. And then a couple hours later, they'd show up in a Gulfstream or a C-130 
Oh, they're not near. The difference here in the U.S. is, and this this is where, on, on the one hand, I'm not a huge fan of the so-called militarization of American police, but what I am a huge fan of is the decentralization of the ability to be better than the criminals. Because the L.A. County SWAT, which is called the SEB, uh, LAPD SWAT, the world's first SWAT, I know people in Delta Force, okay? And you've heard that one particular guy on the air here. And they've all said that L.A. County and LAPD have counterterrorism capabilities that are on par, close to or on par with the U.S. Army Delta Force. And they also have people in those teams who have abilities approaching, closely approaching guys in Delta Force. So, so basically... We're in good hands here in L.A., and that's the reason in, in L.A., if something like this happens, you don't have to sit back and, and, and call Washington. So that's the difference about how we police and how they do it. Like I say, there was a time that there would be an hours-long gap, but this time the French federal authorities, the military, were on scene with tactical teams, and this guy, this lieutenant colonel, actually spoofed. And I wish they were not putting this out, and probably a lot of— a lot of smart guys in uniform in France are wishing the same thing, too. That they're putting out that this lieutenant colonel volunteered to trade places with hostages. And then, oh, by the way, he dialed up his phone to his superior and left it on. And then he went in to a tactical situation where he became a hostage, but he brought a bug into the room. That is a, par- a piece of tactic techniques and procedures that you never want out. Ever, 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 ever. But for some reason, somebody released this. And I know the French aren't happy about this because this is a tactic that will be used in the future, except now it won't. Because the next guy that does this is going to know to frisk the cop that's coming in. And he'll have a cell phone. And it'll be on. So, but uh, anyway, what he did was extraordinarily selfless and uh, is, is being honored around the world. And I'm not sure, but I know a lot of American police departments are going to be sending representat- uh, representatives uh, to uh, his funeral. So it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was effectively for ISIS, this was nothing more than the French having to swat a fly. But there's three dead people and a, and a brave uh, gendarme uh, who's dead as well. You can probably expect this for the next year or two. And then, by the way, if the ISIS guys that they have in custody, were released and allowed to go back home, this would be happening probably every three or four days till they died out. We'll be back in uh, just a second. It is a dark secret place. Brian Suits in here until midnight, KFI, AM 640. More stimulating talk. Hey, Hi, AM640, more stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. What a happy song to talk about death. So the uh, situation in Syria is uh, is this. As I've been telling you for the past couple of months, it's uh, pretty easy to look at the actions of the Syrian regime, of the Assad regime, as well as the Russian Air Force, and it's crystal clear that Assad has been given an ultimatum by Putin which is, I want out of here, and if you can't clean this up, I will find someone who can. Because I don't care who's sitting in that palace in Damascus. I'm still going to have a Navy base in Tartus and an Air Force base at Hamim. And this regime will be Russia-friendly. And I don't care what your daddy did or uh, whether it's called the Assad regime at all. So you have this many months because he's absolutely taking the gloves off, and also he's he's getting the interference from uh, Vladimir Putin that you would expect uh, to 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 get if you were given those marching orders. The problem that the Syrians have, and they've been dealing with this problem now for five years, is that literally their available manpower is not what it was, because they never were a majority government. You recall from this show six years ago, that I told you this war has the formula, has the recipe, has the legs to go for years. This is not a, a, a quick Arab Spring or anything like that. Not going to be quickly put down. There's not going to be a quick result like there was in Libya. Um, the the Alawite religion minority 
it was purpose built to be in charge of everything. They didn't drive the buses, but they ran the bus line. And they didn't, uh, they, they weren't manning the tanks and they weren't manning the infantry battalions. They were commanding them and they were flying the fighter jets and the helicopters and they were captaining the ships. So that's who was in charge. But that only worked as long as the people below them were intimidated to do uh, what they had to do. And this is where the Assad regime always understood that you have to tell people, look, if you don't do what we say, we're just going to bomb your home village. His dad, uh, his dad, Hafez Assad, spent 40 years in Syria doing that. Oh, really? They beat up a policeman? Well, I wonder how they'd like cluster bombs in that village. That's what he did. That's how he did crowd control. And his son's been doing that now for, for six years. But he hasn't been doing it enough. Because uh, international condemnation has been descending on them. Uh, you remember there was the Obama, uh, the, the line that shouldn't be crossed about the chemical weapons. So what did he do? He emptied his, arm, his armory of old, uh, antiquated, unserviceable chemical weapons. They were taken out to sea on a Norwegian ship and they were incinerated. And he said, oh, I'm chemical weapon free. But no one inspected anything. And it's the height of naivete to think that Bashar Assad would actually give you his actual chemical weapons. So now, what's in the middle of, uh, what's between him and ending his civil war in a, uh, a pro-Alawite, pro-Putin uh, conclusion? Well, it is this neighborhood called Ghouta, uh, outside of Damascus, which has been a, uh, a, a epicenter of both uh, ISIS, Free Syrian Army, and then the Al-Qaeda knockoff uh, are all there. So when was the last time you saw any American reporter in Syria, period? You know, never mind the fact that there's upwards of 20,000 Americans in Syria spread across about 15 bases, okay, west of the Euphrates, pardon me, east of the Euphrates. So never mind that we've effectively told Moscow and, and Assad, hey, we're going to go ahead and take one-third of your country but you're not seeing any American reporters there. So since they know that there's no cameras, so they're absolutely unleashing hell on these people in this out, outskirt of Damascus. And you know what? I hear you saying, so what? You know, I say, so what also? Uh, because I know war sucks and I've seen it. It's really horrible, but I'm tired too. It's 2018 and we're canoeing in a sea of turds and I'm the guy here saying, well, look over there. Look at that one right over there. So I don't do it. That's why I don't do it. But the situation in Syria is Assad gets to finish the civil war in his fashion. Clearly, he has an agreement with Turkey that as long as you're fighting enemies of Damascus, you can sit on my territory all you want. Because Turkey's effectively absorbed an entire province in Syria, which is, to be fair, overwhelmingly ethnic. Turkic people, Turkmen, who, because of the tide of war and the lines that were drawn in some smoky room in, in London, that province didn't make it into Turkey. It was, the line was drawn and it was, it woke up in a country called Syria in 1918. Well, the, the Turks, a hundred years later, are solving that problem. Of course, this requires that I lecture Americans about how World War I ended up. And I know better than to do that. I mean, that's what this show is for. But if, you're, if you want to find misery on the face of the planet Earth right now, you can find it pretty much any province west of the Euphrates in Syria. And if you want to find, or, or I guess if you want to look for an American TV reporter, that's the last place you're going to look right now. And you know why? Because this story is on the back page. And number two, no American reporter would actually go where the story is. So Assad wins. This is his victory parade. He's cleaning up these neighborhoods, in his view. You and I would call it cluster bombing children. Some absolutely shocking photos coming out of there on an hourly basis. And he gets away with it because he has the master deceiver, Vladimir Putin, doing his cover for him. And this is all happening right in front of us. So 
I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm one of those people who I know when things are going on because, uh, and I'm affected by it because I know that we could affect it and make it different. But like I say, I'm not the, I'm glad I'm not an elected official because I would be saying this and I would feel like I would want to make a difference there and stop it from happening. But I also know that this is the toughest sell on the American people. And here's something else that Putin knows. Putin knows that all it takes is one plane full of Americans to get shot down. One AC-130 with 19 crewmen on board, all dead, five of them women. That's all it takes. And the Senate, the Republican Senate, the Republican Congress, hold hearings, hold private meetings, Americans freak out, and everything that we've done for the Kurds in Syria is all over. And we throw another people under the bus. So there's that. Uh, all right, when we come back, some odds and ends. Uh, the Marines are going to hold their biggest exercise in Australia since World War II. I wonder who that message is for. Uh, that and more stuff. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian sits in here until midnight. Uh, next hour, guns in America today. Uh, that and more KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. Stimulating talk. It is a dark secret place. Brian suits in here. Next hour, we'll uh, we'll talk about the state of debate in America today, and from Los Angeles to Washington D.C. in regards to uh, March for Lives uh, and some of the public utterances by the adults who, I mean, in my world, should know better. Especially the elected officials, either in senatorial or lieutenant gubernatorial offices uh, here in the state of California. So we'll, we'll get into that. Some odds and ends. Um, the Russians actually crowdsourced the names of a bunch of their weapons uh, about a month ago. The Russian Ministry of Defense, they had a list of names that you could select. You couldn't suggest one like, you know, uh, Laser McLaserface or, or whatever. Uh, but one of the weapons that was named was a, uh, battlefield laser that the Russians now claim surpasses American technology. And, uh, it was named after a Russian monk who died in a famous battle in the uh, 14th century. The, uh, the so-called combat laser complex, uh, is a, is a fixed facility that is dropped by wheeled vehicles fixed in place. Uh, and it has, you know, a, not an unlimited range. It's a laser, uh, but it's a laser being shot through the atmosphere. So it's, uh, it is, uh, you know, limited by visibility, whether that's haze, battlefield smoke, cloud cover, whatever. But if there's clear air between it and a target, the Russians claim that the so-called combat laser complex uh, can bring down helicopters, uh, fast-moving fixed-wing fighters, things like that. Just keep in mind that what we're dealing with here is uh, the speed of light. So literally, there's no lead. It's not like shooting a deer that's running or something like that. And so if it is within range, the Russians claim that this laser is a game-changer uh, because they now have a laser, an automated laser-based air defense system. Uh, the U.S. Navy has uh, ship-mounted laser systems. The reason that the Navy was the logical force to mount lasers somewhere in a combat capacity are because lasers, to be effective, to be lethal, uh, actually require a tremendous amount of, of electricity. The kind of electricity that you really can only get as a surge from a nuclear-propelled vessel. So that's why it's a logical uh, armament. For a naval vessel, same with a so-called railgun, an electromagnetic railgun, because it requires a burst of electricity. The Russians um, have done something that we considered in the late 90s, and that was a battlefield tactical laser uh, to engage with enemy optical systems. Um, ours was called Stingray, and it was near deployment. It was so near deployment that it actually appeared in my Cavalry Scouts manual, uh, FM 17-9 or 8, uh, Cavalry Scout Platoon Operations in 1998. And there was not a picture of the system. It just told us what it was, that it was airdroppable, it'll be vehicle-mountable, and it was called Stingray. 
and what the system did. And again, this is 20 years ago. What it did was uh, it could be fully automated or it could be manual, but it did two things. It detected enemy laser, uh, pardon me, enemy optical systems because every missile and every gun has an optical system. Guided missiles rely on an optical system, an actual ground lens or TV guided optical system. Uh, and cannons require uh, optics as well. And so this thing would send out an invisible IR laser, and when it got uh, a reflection back indicating an optical system, everything from binoculars to a gun sight to a, a, a tank sight or a missile sight, it would fix on where that was. And you could tell it automatically, engage everything from here on the left to there on the right. Everything in front of us, engage it. And it would sit there automatically shooting an invisible IR laser back at the optical system, burning it out. Sounds brilliant, doesn't it? Except for one little problem. If there was a human eye on the other end of that optical system, you've now violated the law of war. Even though the laser system was meant to burn the equipment, the problem was if somebody was using the equipment, you have just destroyed their eyeball. I mean, literally, probably blow it up, actually breach their eyeball. And that is a weapon designed to mutilate, even though the weapon was designed to kill the optics. But the United States Army, under pressure uh, by uh, Amnesty International and others, pulled this system from deployment that we could have had 20 years ago. It would have been very valuable in Afghanistan. But it's because they claim that the weapon was designed to mutilate, uh, not kill. Again, in the law of war, if you have a weapon system designed to kill, that's fine. A bullet's designed to kill. If uh, the reason we don't use hollow points is because the law of war says, well, that's designed to mutilate. And you can't mutilate, you have to kill. And I'm not making that up. So now the Russians have fielded this system, and it does the same thing. It detects optics, um, and it takes kill shots at, at airplane engines and things like that. But no one's going to raise this stink on them. But anyway, it was crowdsourced, and it was named. Uh, so there's that. That's one little odd, odd end. Uh, here's the other one. Uh, you know that we have been injecting Marines into Australia's soft rear for uh, for a couple of years now. It was President Obama who announced the pivot to the Pacific, and part of that involves a rotating deployment of a battalion of Marines to a uh, Australian Army base up in Darwin, as well as uh, as well as B ones uh, and all that. Well, a record number of U.S. Marines are going to train in Australia. This is a symbolic challenge to China. Uh, 1,587 U.S. Marines will spend six months training in Australia, an increase of uh, 27% over last year. This will kick off in a little bit. The Chinese are doing demonstrations in the air. Uh, we're showing commitment on the ground, so uh, there's that. All right, when we come back next hour, um, the gun debate and how, how where has it descended to? Uh, we'll talk about that right here in Los Angeles in just a minute. It is uh, Brian Suits here at the Dark Secret Place, KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. Dark secret place. This radioactivity is coming from Brian Suits on KFI. I would bomb the out of him. Dark secret place with Brian Suits on KFI. KFI AM 640 more stimulating talk. It is hour number two of the dark secret place. Brian Suits in here until midnight tomorrow night. Uh, for Super Hyper Local Sunday, Bridget Fetisi, the sex advice columnist for Playboy, uh, is going to be in here. She does the Just the Tips column. But uh, a very, very funny lady in her, her most recent uh, column on the online magazine Mel is about all you divorced guys over the age of 50. Is your sex life over or can you can you uh, go on board, you know, these here Tinder and uh, these these different apps on that smartphone and uh and and find uh, it, if not permanent love again then at least you know 7 to 8 minutes of love so she'll be here tomorrow uh talking about that well today of course was the march for our lives all across the country led by the uh students from the Stone Douglas High School in Parkland Florida where the Nicholas Cruz massacre happened uh, about a month ago, uh, where a very troubled young man at the age of 19 
purchased a rifle, um, and uh, after apparently giving off signals since middle school, finally paid off when everyone uh, joked about him doing, and uh, killed 17 in a six-minute span. And in in the time between that shooting and today, uh, we have discovered that pretty much every law that you would propose to stop an event like this from happening already existed, existed in Broward County, Florida, uh, including a recommendation uh, from the school to the sheriff's department to actually uh, intercede and take custody of Mr. Cruz and force him into mental counseling, which is an extraordinary uh, move uh, in, in any jurisdiction across the country. And yes, even here in California, where you would think that we have all sorts of, uh, you know, invasive privileges that school dis- districts have when they observe kids, you know, for six hours a day. Uh, believe it or not, it still takes a lot. And so in, in the case of Nicholas Cruz, here's a kid who we now know retroactively of, of all people who should be a poster boy for this kind of intervention. He's it. And there is, in my observation, there is no law being proposed that uh, doesn't already exist on the books there. And, and that in what is even more maddening about Broward County is not only did the legal tools exist to intercede in the arc of this young man's life, but they actually had been triggered. They had been used. But when they issued the order to actually pick him up and commit him, uh, to a minimum, uh, at least 72 hour counseling, uh, and, and assessment, it wasn't actually executed. And so I don't know what more you could do than that. If, and, and that, again, that takes a lot, but that's how far Nicholas Cruz got. Uh, and without that mental, uh, without that adjudication of, of being mentally deficient, the, uh, ATF can't do anything to stop you from purchasing a weapon. And the the issue here, and you've heard me say it, because I didn't hear this spoken about today from Washington, D.C. to right here in L.A. Um, Congressman Adam Schiff was here in Burbank. Nobody brought this up, that the, the common thread in all these shootings is that these are young men who either uh, stop taking their meds or uh, something significant in their life suddenly went away. In the case of Nicholas Cruz, he was he's been on meds since he was 12 or 13. His father died when he was 4. His uh, they he was adopted by an elderly an older couple. They were in their late 50s when they adopted him. He died for when Nicholas was 4, his father died. His mother just died of this flu that's going around back in November. And he was taken in by a a a family friend, a, a, another family that was a friend of their families, and he he stopped taking his meds. Um, uh, James Holmes in Colorado, you know, the same thing. You've heard me harp on this over and over because the other piece of disinformation that annoys me when, whenever, whenever you get, um, people doing legal suggestions by emotion, uh, is that certain statements are thrown out there and they're unchallenged. The one, my, my phrase that pays today was epidemic of gun violence, this epidemic of gun violence. Kamala Harris said it yesterday uh, on Twitter. Adam Schiff said it in Burbank today. It's become a default. And I I understand why some 17-year-old who now has exactly what every 17-year-old wants, they have viral fame and they're on TV and uh, and they're getting all the likes in the world. I, I, I get that. You'll say anything when you're behind that mic because it's intoxicating. And we, we saw that again today with the Parkland kids. What I don't like is when adults say it, adults who know that words have meanings. And, and I mean, I will specifically call out Senator Kamala Harris because she was our attorney general. She was the highest law enforcement official in the biggest state in the United States. Uh, which, by the way, California, just in case you don't know this, California remains the number one gun market on earth. Okay, not North America, not the United States, and not the West. The state of California is the number one gun market on earth, even with 
all of our um our 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 oppressive state laws uh and so she knows and sh- and she should know better than most which is why I can only assign it to uh an agenda she knows that gun violence is on a 30 year decline yet she used the term epidemic there is not an epidemic of gun violence you hear people say that without challenge i i get it when some 17-year-old poster boy says it on This Week with George Stephanopoulos and Stephanopoulos is just too, has too big of a crush on the guy to correct him, I, I get that. That 17-year-old only knows what he's been told to say. But when you're a former attorney general of the state of California and you use a term like epidemic for something that you know is not an epidemic, then what are you doing? Did you mistweet? Are your thumbs broken or are you just flat out lying because there's another agenda that you have? Well, I'm left to conclude that uh, the latter is true, that she sees an issue here where she thinks that there's a way to get more than 25 percent of Americans under the age of 30 to go to the polls and and vote Um, for all the good that civil rights demonstrations did in the 60s. With all due respect, the difference was those were rights that those people had. They were asking for their rights to be observed. They weren't asking for new rights. And they weren't asking for a change in the Constitution. They were asking for the rights that were given to them by birth to be exercised. Now, you have Kamala Harris lying about something that is as crucial as the Constitution and putting her name on it and sending it out on Twitter. Well, gun violence is actually the opposite of an epidemic. Gun homicides in the United States are the opposite of a increasing infectious disease, which is the definition of an epidemic. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you more about why there's not an epidemic of firearms violence uh, in America. Right after this, it is the Dark Secret Place. Brian suits in here until midnight. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. <laughs> AM supporting more stimulating talk. It is the dark secret place. Brian suits in here until midnight. And uh, all across the country, thousands and thousands of people were demonstrating for gun control, according to CNN, even though uh, the official spokespersons for March for Our Lives were saying, well, no, we want sensible regulations to keep crazy people from getting guns. But uh, in their own speeches and all that, they're talking about gun control. And they wonder why. They can't get any inroads speaking with the rank and file, reasonable, lawful firearm owner in the United States, which, by the way, uh, are 99 percent of of uh, of us, I I should say. Um, The term and the the hyperbole amongst the hyperbole that was bandied about today, gun violence epidemic was the one that annoyed me the most as I was surfing channels and and watching from L.A. to Washington, D.C., Um, The epidemics, by the way, are in, for instance, Chicago, where the some of the most uh, draconian gun laws in the United States exist uh, in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois. And there are routinely because I watch the news every weekend, there are between seven and ten handgun homicides every single weekend in Chicago. And there have been now for what going on six years and there's nothing they can do about it. And they seem to blame the guns. And when they, uh, when, when they uh, don't blame the guns, they blame the adjacent states. But there is strict gun control in Chicago. Um, and the murders are happening between gangs. Uh, in fact, in uh, some of the hard statistics that I deal in, you can find at the Department of Justice's annual Uniform Crime Report, UCR. So go to uh, justice.gov v or or uh doj.gov and just look for ucr uniform crime report and do it for the latest year for 2017 and just go table by table and go to uh go to uh homicide by weapon and for instance you'll find that more people were beaten to death with human fists last year than killed with rifles and this by the way includes the death toll from las vegas um 
58. You know, and keep in mind in Nice, France, in July on July 14, 2016, a guy with a truck killed 85 people. But but regardless, um, addressing the misnomer epidemic, homicides by firearm have been declining for the past 30 years. One of the best articles, and I tweeted out a link to it earlier tonight, happened after San Bernardino. The, uh, the headline, we've had a massive decline in gun violence in the United States, here's why, was December 3rd, 2015. And it attributes a bunch of things, more, more cops per capita, uh, police uh, mapping violence, less alcohol consumption in America. Here's here's a weird one: less lead. There's less lead in our lives today, and that that uh, lead causes aggression, especially in males. That's another interesting reason. Better economy. Um, he leaves out a really big one, which is that we jail bad guys. Uh, when when people in California were committing three violent felonies, we put them away for life. And the correlation between the implementation of three strikes and uh, homicides by all methods, knife, car, firearm, they all went down in California by all measure. So, uh, so the, the one uh, fixed, uh, fixed quality there was that we were putting violent people away, not just violent people after they used a gun, violent people who killed with knives, violent people who ran down people with cars, they all went to jail. And guess what? If you remove the violent people from society, society's more peaceful. Is that a shocker? Um, well, uh, anyway, uh, homicide in general, violent crimes in general are on a 30-year decline. And that, that might be attributable to other environmental factors like less lead, less alcohol use, you know, things like that. But a big one is taking the violent people off the street. So why do they persist in saying gun violence epidemic? My only guess here is that massacres are shocking. And so if you go months with a very low homicide rate, but then all of a sudden 17 people are killed in one episode, that's shocking. And then when those episodes seem to, ha to uh, be happening more frequently, that's shocking as well. Um, the, the reality since uh, Columbine 1999 uh, is that spree shootings, uh, including school shootings, are the exception and not the norm. Even former New York mayor, Michael Bloomberg, who's putting millions of dollars into uh, fighting gun culture is what he's doing uh, across the country, making America more like New York. Even he admits that, that the spree shootings are a drop in the bucket. And that point, in fact, if you do spend time reading the annual Uniform Crime Report, what you'll find is that 50% of the homicides in America are done by 4% of the population. And it's uh, males between 18 and about 39. African-American males between 18 uh, and 39. You can go run the numbers yourself. The reasons are many. Poverty, gangs, etc. But it's concentrated. Um, for instance, Pennsylvania is packed with guns. But if you go to the adjacent counties to Philadelphia, you'll find... 0.7 homicides per 100,000 people uh, over five years. You go in Philadelphia, and it's 20 homicides per 100,000 people. The more urbanized we are, the more homicides occur. And we continue to urbanize as a country, yet homicides are going down overall. Um, and then, oh, by the way, the actual method for firearm homicide, uh, the gun, either in handgun or rifle form, more guns are owned by Americans today in 2018 than any time ever. There's greater gun ownership today than ever. Yet the firearm homicide rate is at a three-decade low. There are fluctuations, of course. When California lets out criminals, guess what they do? But uh, the bottom line is the term epidemic is being misused from our senator, Kamala Harris, right down to a 17-year-old kid behind a podium. Uh, I don't blame the 17-year-old kid, but I really have a problem with the adult former attorney general elected senator from California named Kamala Harris, who's misusing that. So what's the reality of guns in California? Uh, I'll tell you uh, about it in just a second. I, I bought an item today to make me compliant with, with uh, what's, what's going to happen on July 1st later on this year. I bought an item that uh, suddenly makes me a good guy 
in Gavin Newsom's eyes. I'll tell you about it right after this. The Dark Secret Place, Brian Suits in here until midnight, KFI, AM 640, more stimulating talk. KFI, AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until midnight, then weekend coast to coast takes over. So the uh, term epidemic was used all over the country today in regards to gun violence, when it is literally, and I'm not misusing that, literally the opposite of an epidemic. Uh, As a cause of mortality, firearm homicides are dwindling, and they're also not contagious. Um, They're at a near 30-year low, and if you actually dig into the numbers, you'll find that um, outside of urban areas of the United States, outside of L.A., New York, Philadelphia, Chicago— in rural areas of the United States where firearm uh, ownership is, uh, is of a higher percentage, uh, is, is more uh, penetrated, the homicide rate is near European levels. So, I mean, wrap your mind around that for a second. When France or Germany or Italy or, or especially England, when they talk about that they only have 200 homicides per year by, by gun, um, you you may reply to them that in rural America, where the the penetration of firearm ownership uh, is uh, upwards of eighty percent, the homicide rate is in most cases near European levels. And I mean, I'm talking about rural America with like meth and stuff, and the homicide rate in parts of uh, in most parts of rural uh, Western America, and this includes California, is approximately 0.7 homicides per 100,000. In many cases, um, that overall homicide rate, including with firearms, is lower than the homicide rate in Italy. And so the Europeans can look down their noses at us and our gun ownership, but what we can say back to them is, well, you know what, outside of our cities where people actually own guns, we kill ourselves at a lower rate than you guys do. And them's the simple numbers. So what Gavin Newsom tweeted earlier today, and I have to read it verbatim, was uh, he said, quote, we cannot stop raising our voices until every child, mother, father, brother, sister, community member is safe at school, a concert, a mall, or a park. No one deserves to live their life in fear of being shot, but that's the sad reality of today. Close quote. That was at 1.30 this, this afternoon. I replied to him and I said, if you live in fear of being shot, then you are bad at math. Um, it is absolutely nonsensical. Uh, I'm not in fear of getting on I-5, but my uh, potential for being grievously wounded or killed is about a thousand times higher than me being shot uh, in 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 any context in Los Angeles, I'm talking about in Los Angeles. I mean, I can, I can walk through Silmar with a big sign saying illegals out or, uh, ice is here, grab your gear or whatever like that. And my chances of being shot in Silmar are still lower than being struck by lightning. That is how unlikely firearm violence is. Um, and so I can uh, only assume that the, the the reason people get uh, hyperventilated is because obviously, and this goes without saying, and this is the other part of my argument to uh, to the left or to the the gun grabbers. Uh, no one likes hearing about kids being killed by any method. I don't like kids being mauled to death by the Rottweiler or the pit bull, but that seems to happen. Why don't we pass a law preventing pit bulls from being adopted into a house with an infant? I don't know. But statistically, um, that kid is more likely to be mauled by a dog than to be shot. But it's shocking when people use guns to kill kids, and rightly so, because that should be an anomaly. It should never happen. But happen, it does. And the difference between uh, a vehicle accident and a firearm, the difference between a car and a firearm is that a firearm is actually constitutionally protected. It is a possession that you, as an American, uh, were granted hundreds of years ago by people who had just fought for our freedom. And what was really weird today was uh, Charles Cook from National Review 
uh, interviewed a 13-year-old who said, only the government and police should have guns. So clearly someone has failed this girl in history class. Um, and this is something that is increasingly a product of our extraordinarily successful society. And this is another thing that I don't hear people saying. When I hear people in Hollywood or read people in Hollywood saying, oh, what a depressing week. This is just the worst week in politics ever. And I have to reply to them, you know, you may not know this, but you live in the most peaceful, prosperous, healthy period of time in human history. Human history. Now, remember, before 40,000 years ago, people weren't writing down history. But I guarantee 40,000 years ago, it wasn't near as healthy, wasn't nearly as prosperous, and it uh, sure as hell wasn't as peaceful. But that's the world that we live in today. And for some reason, maybe there's an evolutionary function with our minds. We are unable to put anything in context. And the casualty here, and this is what I fear, are our rights. And this is where I sympathize with these kids and with people who, like, guess what? I, I belong to this club. People who don't want their children killed by a maniac. Me, I don't want my child killed by a maniac by any method, not just firearm. I just don't want a maniac to kill my kid. A maniac should not be driving a car, shouldn't have a lawnmower. Uh, they, they should be getting help or whatever, dropped off a cliff. I don't care. I just want my daughter safe. So today, uh, I went to Tactical Pro Shop uh, right here in Burbank, and I bought a California-compliant buttstock. Uh, but what's a buttstock, you ask? Well, on the evil AR-15, which uh, everyone from Diane Feinstein to Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris have declared war on, you see, um, if you simply remove a couple so-called evil features and you cosmetically replace them with less evil features, then apparently you no longer have a so-called assault rifle. Um, currently, uh, of the weapons I own, uh, they have a, uh, a buttstock. You know, all rifles have a stock. You brace it against your shoulder. And the, uh, the rifle I carried in Iraq, the M4 carbine, which was an actual assault rifle, uh, it had an adjustable rifle stock. So if I was wearing body armor, I could shorten it up and still have the same uh, eye length between me and my, my, uh, my optic. Um, so an adjustable buttstock is a great feature for an M4. And if you wonder why they're so popular, that's one of the reasons they're popular because they are so accessorizable. Well, California has decided that the adjustable buttstock is part of the reason that the AR-15 is evil, like the fruits of the devil. And so I'm going to tomorrow morning, bright and early, I'm going to replace that adjustable buttstock with a new fixed buttstock. What will that allow me to do? A new California-compliant fixed buttstock. What will that allow me to do? Well, it will allow me then to use a regular magazine release. Right now in California, you have to have a fixed magazine. You cannot remove it unless you use a special tool. So in other words, you can't do a quick magazine release. So when I put on this one feature, this one cosmetic feature that in no way changes the function of the weapon, I now can put a regular magazine release. But, oh, you say, in California, it's only 10 rounds. Okay, well, tomorrow I'm going to put that buttstock on, and I'm going to go out to my little range, and I'm going to see how many times I can change magazines in one minute. I'll, I'm going to load probably 20 10-round magazines, and I'm going to see how quickly I can change out in one minute. I'm going to take a wild stab and tell you that I'm still going to be able to fire um, probably over 150 rounds a minute. Whether or not I'm changing a 30-round magazine once every 10 seconds or a 10-round magazine once every 7 or 8 seconds, I'm still going to function that AR-15 the same way that Nicholas Cruz did in Parkland, Florida, who, by the way, used 10-round magazines. So effectively, what California's done is pretty much, well, nothing. But I'll tell you how that goes tomorrow. Uh, back in a minute here on The Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until midnight. KFI AM 640 more stimulating talk. KFI AM 640 more stimulating talk. It is a dark secret place. Brian sits in here until uh, midnight. And uh, speaking of debating people and about guns and all that, uh, my my live show at Arcadia, because I'm sick, uh, we had to put it off uh, last Thursday, so it's been rescheduled for this upcoming Thursday, what the... Uh, the uh, 29th, yeah. 
Um, and or is it twenty eighth? Well, whatever. Thursday night at the Arcadia Dave and Buster's, my live show, how to debate? Pardon me, how to win a gun debate against an idiot or an astronaut, uh, has been uh, re- rescheduled. All the all the facts and everything that I uh, tend to base my arguments on, um, I will teach you in a dynamic environment how to win such a debate against anybody. Um, so far, my range fan includes uh, Canadians who uh, are not neither idiots nor astronauts, uh, but they just have a different cultural orientation than we do. Also, believe me, um, I don't bring them on air. I don't read emails on air and then crumple up the paper for comic effect or anything like that. I I engage people until they get personal or stupid. So I engage loads and loads of idiots. The minute someone says, oh, I guess you want to see dead kids, debate's over. I win. I'm I'm sorry, but I win. You can't counter my arguments when you go to that. And you say it as if it gives you some sort of moral high ground. The disappointment for me was meeting someone who, uh, in a a prior life, I would have admired. Uh, In my prior life uh, as a uh, Marine uh, Aviation uh, Navy ROTC cadet, or pardon me, midshipman, I wanted to be a Marine fighter pilot more, more than anything. I wanted to be a naval aviator more than anything. Right. So imagine my disappointment when I when I met a distinguished naval aviator slash astronaut whose twin brother uh, spent a year up on the International Space Station as he spent a year down here. um, Mark Kelly, who is married to uh, Congresswoman, former Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords, uh, who in in an assassination attempt was grievously wounded, lucky to be alive uh, by a mentally ill man who had no business with that gun, who Every law that people want to pass to prevent such a thing was already passed uh, in Arizona, but it just wasn't implemented. It wasn't enforced. And so um, debating with uh, somebody who has the intellectual goods to be the smartest guy in any room, but hearing some, some, uh, some cliched old arguments um, made me realize, you know, this isn't so hard as long as people stay in the world of facts. And as long as you're debating people who are outside the world of facts, like 17-year-old girls who say that, you're, that you basically own a machine gun, um, then you're going to win the debate. The problem is, for most people, uh, we have come to equate emotion and passion with credibility. And believe me when I say that um, as a personal witness to gun violence in the form of war, uh, I am upset at the idea of children being killed by any sort of firearm. But you know what? I expand it to motor vehicle, airplane, um, falling boulder, anything. It's a bad thing when kids die. But I am not going to hold up a sign that says not one more because I don't know if a boulder is going to roll down PCH tomorrow and kill some kid in a car. And I don't know if lightning is going to kill a kid. And I don't know if someone with a gun is going to kill a kid tomorrow. But I know that boulders, lightning, and firearms are part of the world that we live in. And that if you actually do the research and know the context, then you know that the likelihood of dying at the hands of a firearm are lower now than they have been in decades. And this in the middle of this psychotropic drug crisis that we're obviously in here in America, where we drug up our boys, um, we apparently don't allow them to be boys anymore, and then one day they stop taking their drugs and they do a Elliot Roger in Santa Barbara or a James Holmes in Aurora, Colorado, or a Columbine, uh, or a Virginia Tech, or a Parkland, Florida. Um, that's the common thread, not the existence of the gun. And so uh, if you come there uh, Thursday night uh, to Arcadia, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a funny guy. Uh, it, it basically is a comedy routine, but uh, I'm a reasonable person, and I will debate absolutely anybody about this issue. In, in terms of due diligence, by the way, I've made requests to the lieutenant governor's office. I will have Gavin Newsom in studio and KFI anytime he's in L.A. Hell, I'll take him by phone, whatever. But... My one condition is, please answer my questions. Please actually listen to my responses. And when I ask you a question, please answer it. And don't minimize me as some sort of bloodlusty, 
uh, insensitive bastard who doesn't care if, if kids die. Believe me, I've seen violence that I don't even want to describe. And seeing that makes life far more precious. To, to those of us who have seen how easily life is taken, it makes it far, far more precious. And that's where, to these kids at Parkland or survivors from Santa Barbara, what you're missing about people like me is that we have that one thing in common. And that if you keep it reasonable, then I'll be on your side. But when in your heat of emotion, you blame what happened, the violent random event that happened to you, the unlikely violent random event that happened to you on the existence of guns, then you lose me because you're now still clearly showing signs of PTSD or emotion. You know, there's, there's a reason that some people shouldn't make certain decisions uh, after a car accident uh, or after a brush with death. Uh, it's because you're not in the right mind. And I would suggest that right now we're celebrating that in this country. Instead of responsible journalism saying, you know what, some people need room to breathe here. Uh, instead, unchallenged statements are being made on Sunday morning talk shows. And then the response is, how can you attack a 17-year-old? So I don't attack a 17-year-old. But I will attack an idea that is false on the face of it or wrong on the face of it or demagoguery on the face of it. So that's where I'm at. Thursday night at Dave and Buster's in Arcadia. You can go to, uh, you can go to Dark Secret Place, uh, and it's the pin tweet. Two tickets for twenty five bucks at uh, Dave and Buster's at eight p.m. on uh, Thursday night. How to win a gun debate with an idiot or an astronaut? And I've uh, I've done them both. All right, that's the Dark Secret Place for uh, tonight. I'll be back tomorrow for Super Hyper Local Sunday at eight p.m. Special guest Bridget Fetisy from uh, Playboy.com, and she will be here to help all you. 50-year-old losers who are divorced, men and women. Uh, and how do, you get, how do you get back in the saddle, if you know what I mean? Because that's like a metaphor. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk.